Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, I've got a list of things real quickly as we get ready to jump in. We're going to be in Matthew 7 again. We're in verses 13 through the end of the chapter, which is also the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we're actually wrapping up the, the verse-by-verse walk through it uh, this morning, but we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Number one, Candy Cruise in tonight. I really do hope you'll come back. Um, Lou made a promise a few weeks ago that if you came to Candy Cruise in, that you would get to see me wearing something different than this. And I am going to live up to his promise. I promise you that I won't be wearing what I'm wearing right now, but there's way better reasons for most of you to come to Candy Cruise in tonight. So come for some other reason. Um, I did think about wearing my costume this morning. I had a little discussion at the house about that, but decided that Keith had that covered for us. So speaking of Keith, number two, I wanted to say thank you to Keith for teaching last week for us in Colossians 1. And, you know, we've come up with a long list of names for Keith over the past year. There's been Smooth Keith and Scruffy Keith and Bearded Keith and Campus Keith and Guitar Keith and Keyboard Keith and uh, Beef Pruitt. That was a really good one. I'm adding Big Daddy Bird Keith now after last week. And the reason for that is he took such a big chunk out of Colossians. You know, I mean, Colossians 1, there's a hundred truths in there that we could pull out. And so I felt like last week he was chewing all that up. And then, like, as baby birds now, we get to take little bites here in a few weeks and just little itty pieces just that he's going to drop in our mouth. And so we're going to walk slowly through Colossians. And I don't know if you knew this about birds, but it's not just the mama birds that do that. I didn't know that for a long time. I learned it about cardinals. And then I think it's actually true about several types of birds that actually the daddy birds also feed the birds. So we're going with big daddy bird Keith from now on. But really, I uh, appreciate him teaching last week. Number three, you've got homework for next week. Now, the last time I did this, you all forgot. All right? So this is your heads up. We are finishing Matthew 7 this week. But your homework for next week is anything that we've covered in Matthew 5 through 7 as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, this is the longest sermon that we have recorded from Jesus in the New Testament. And it's probably, the, in that sense, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached on the face of the earth. And there's no way, even the time that we've spent on it, that we've covered all the details and dug into everything that we could. And so I wanted to take a week next week as a wrap-up Sunday. If there are verses that we kind of just brushed over and you would like to dig in more to them, if you would bring those up next week, if you have truths about God that you wanted to share one week and we ran out of time or other people were talking and you got cut off or I started talking and didn't take any more truths, if you would have those ready, or if you have questions, if there's a part that we didn't completely answer or look at it and you still got some questions. So if you will come ready next week for anything in the sermon, uh, we will just, we'll look at all that together wherever you want to point us. And if you'll just be ready to point us to the verses or the sections you want to look at, And, you know, this is not the kind of homework where there's straight A's assigned. I know I made a joke about that last time. Do you remember the people, by the way, in college? I feel like there was like three groups of people, sort of. You had the people who they got their homework assignment, they worked as hard as they could, and they made straight A's. Then you had the people who got their homework assignment, and they really didn't care. They did whatever they wanted anyway. They're like B's and C's, get degrees. I'm going to the party. I'm going to the ball game. I'm going on a date. And then you had those other people that they got their homework assignment and they did what they wanted and they still made straight A's. 
And you'd always look at them and be like, how are they so good at everything? <laughs> this is none of those, all right? This is not the type of homework assignment where you're getting a grade. This is what have you heard in the Sermon on the Mount, not for a grade, not for evaluation, but for God speaking to our hearts, things that you want to share with us that God has said to you, or things that you want us to, to work on more because you're like, I think God's saying something right here, but I haven't understood it clearly yet. So anything that you want to cover next week, don't be bashful. Just come with your verses ready, and whether it's a question, a truth, or just a can we look at this more, let's do that next week, all right? So when I, when I get up here next Sunday, here's why I'm spending time on this. When I get up here next Sunday, I'm not going to have verses ready. Like if, if you all walk in here, you're like, I didn't do my homework. We don't have any. I'll read the whole sermon again. We'll do that. But what we're doing next week is what you want to talk about, okay? Is that good enough? Number four. Let me see if I can find this real quick. The last time I was up here two weeks ago, yeah, there it is. I started talking about my first grade teacher and reading Buffy and Mac, this panda bear and this rabbit. And all of you all looked at me like I was crazy. Like not a single one of you here in Tennessee had learned to read with Buffy and Mac. And you looked at me so much like I was crazy that I started to think I was crazy. I was like, maybe I made that up. Maybe that wasn't their names. Maybe they weren't those kind of animals. So I got on Amazon, and I just searched Buffy and Mac books, and there they are. And actually, when I searched it, one of the reviews, the guy was like, most of you know how to read because of these two animals. Like That was the first line of his review. But it was just this interesting thing to me. When I found that, look at this. Do you see what they're selling that book for? So if any of you have forgotten and you've got some Buffy and Mac books laying around the house somewhere and you want to make a contribution to the church this week, you can just you can stick those books in the metal containers on the way out anytime you want. <laughs> those charitable contribution containers. I wish I still had the one that I stole in first grade, but I returned it that day. Um, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, you can just listen and... See, i got to find my right spot now, don't I? There we go. You can listen and, and, and hear my confession of temporarily stealing a book in first grade so that I wouldn't lose my recess. Um, and then number five, more seriously, last thing on the list this morning. Five seems like a sufficient list. I got another update from the Browns in Italy, and they are doing well with the adjustment to a new culture. Um, they, God has provided an open door for them to get both of their boys in a school over there, which is going to be really good for them adjusting. But it also gives Josh and Selena some more free time to really focus on language learning. And so the town that they're in right now, there's a home church there that they had connected with initially, and they knew they were going to be with this church. Their, their plan is to be there for about seven months while they're doing language learning. And then this church has already identified another town half an hour, an hour away or so that the Browns are hoping to move to in about seven months and really start to build relationships there, get to know people, start sharing the gospel. And the hope is to plant another church there um, over the course of the next couple of years. And so that's what they're praying toward. And if you would keep praying for them in that as they make this transition, as they learn the language, learn the culture, build relationships, that God would open those kind of doors um, I know they will be very, very grateful, and I, I would be grateful as well. And so we're going to pray right now for this time that God would speak to us out of Matthew 7. Um, this is another, in, in my opinion, this is another difficult section of Jesus' teaching. 
And so we'll, we'll wrestle with it some, but asking God to tell us, speak to us, show us what he wants us to see this morning. And then also I'm going to pray for the Browns as well. So if you will pray with me right now and pray for them with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. We do pray for Josh and Selena and their family. We thank you for the ways that you've already answered prayers and provided for them and the, the ways that you have shown them and, and shown us that you are taking care of them and that you are at work through them to build your church and advance your gospel and make Jesus known. And we pray that you will continue to do that, uh, that you would give them just uh, a real aptitude for learning the language, that you would make it possible for them to communicate the gospel and that you will lead them to the people that you want them to meet and, and the people that you intend to use to build your church. And I pray that you would be working in their hearts already and softening their hearts and preparing them for what you are doing and what you plan to do. Thank you that we get to be a small part of that as we are connected with them. And I pray, Father, that you would use it to remind us that this is who you've called us to be as your church, people who are making Jesus known and making disciples to the ends of the earth by your spirit and for the sake of your name and your glory. And so we ask you to be doing that in our hearts again this morning, right now, through your word, as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13 and going through the end of the sermon. This is Jesus. We're picking up again in the middle, and so things that we've said all the way up till now for the past several weeks, if that sets the context for you as you think about your truths, what does this teach about God, and feel free to let the rest of the sermon shape the truths you're hearing this morning. But here we go. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, 
Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. All right. What does that teach us about God? Yeah, so following Jesus, and Cassie, I may say this two or three different ways, and if it doesn't cover everything you're saying, tell me and we'll add to it. Following Jesus is more than just something you say with your words. For me, personally, I think that this verse right here, in verse 21, the way he says it, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But then in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. Like, didn't we do all these spectacular, religious, spiritual, supernatural things in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. That may be the scariest verse in the whole Bible, like, if we take Jesus seriously. These people who would say, and this is religious people like us, who would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these religious things in your name? Didn't we do all these good, spiritual, supernatural, powerful things that we were supposed to do in your name? And Jesus could look at people like that and say, no, you never knew me. You never had a relationship with me. Like Just calling him Lord, Lord, or saying, hey, these things are for Jesus, doesn't mean that they really are. So following Jesus is more than just something you say with your words. Following Jesus, Cassie used the word choice, is a choice you make that changes your heart. And the reason I'm saying that way is because clearly Jesus is saying it has to be deeper than just what you say, and it even has to be deeper than just what you do. That you can say he's your Lord, you can do these things externally, but is there something in the depth of your heart that has been changed because you are trusting and following Jesus? And then he gives us, in a sense, the context for what that really means. Following Jesus is about an intimate relationship with Jesus, and I'm basing that on the, I never knew you. He said, you can say these things, you can do these things, 
but do you have a relationship with Jesus where you know him personally and he knows you, where you are intimately connected with him, one with him in faith, that you are trusting who he is and who you are is being changed because of your relationship with him. And we'll, we'll leave it there for now, but yeah, that's, we could unpack all those you know, for a week each. But what else do you see? What does this teach us about God or ways you want to expand on what Cassie said? Um, or anything else in this section? Yeah, I spent, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about the connections, and I feel like one of the things I was going to say this morning, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it now, and we'll see how much time we have after that, but that I, I've always read verse 15. Right here, the whole thing. This warning against false prophets even though clearly what, what he says in verse 16 is connected to verse 15, I've kind of read verse 15 by itself, and then I skip down to the whole, by their fruit you will recognize them. And I've used it more to be like, okay, so for all of us, look at what you're doing in your life, and, and, and what you do in your life will ultimately reveal whether you have true faith or not. And, and certainly there are places in, in the New Testament that say when you have true faith in Jesus and he changes your heart, out of your heart is going to grow good behavior. I mean, that's true, like righteousness, that the, the fruit of the Spirit is going to grow out of you. That's true, but that actually isn't. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about right here, because nothing in the context lends itself toward that. And so what Adam's saying right here, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. The first thing to say is just that false prophets, they look safe on the outside. It just makes you like, when you, when you encounter someone who isn't truly teaching the Bible and isn't teaching the true gospel and the true Jesus, you're not going to be like, oh, well, that just sounds awful and terrible, and I've got to stay as far away from that as I can. Like, naturally, it won't sound that way to you. It's going to sound safe. It's going to sound good. But they tell me how to do this. They encourage people to live this way. The things they say sounds like they're pushing people to, to live a better life. They, they look safe on the outside, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They're deadly on the inside. And then Jesus immediately says, by their fruit you'll recognize them. And I believe what he's actually talking about there is their teaching. Because he doesn't ever shift from the false teachers to anything else. And so I started looking through Matthew in the New Testament. I was like, are there things that help us ex like expand this or see what we mean? And I found this section. I was actually reading through Matthew this week on my own anyway, like separate from the Sermon on the Mount. And so in Matthew 12, Jesus is again, he's in, he's in a debate with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And, and also contextually, I didn't go all the way back to Matthew 5, but for those of you that have been with us in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember that he had this, Jesus had this statement where he said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And we've talked about what a high bar that was and how shocking that would have been because Jesus is taking the most religious people of his day, the people who know the Bible the best, teach the Bible the most, who try to live out all the rules of the Old Testament, who even added all these extra rules to, to obey and, and to, to show how holy they were. And they were, you know, we, don't want, we want to make sure we don't break these rules, so let's add these rules so we don't get close to those rules. And then let's add these rules, because if we get close to these rules, we may eventually get close to these rules. And they lived their whole life that way. And everybody looked at them and thought, these are the best, most righteous, most religious, rule-keeping people we know. And Jesus points to them, and he's like, they're not even getting into my kingdom. Like their level of righteousness is not enough for my kingdom. So he's already really come after the religious teachers and, and like you said, leveled the playing field where he's like, don't think that they're way ahead of everybody else in my kingdom. They're not even in my kingdom. My standard is so high. The standard in my kingdom is so different from what you think normal human righteousness is that their righteousness doesn't even register in my kingdom. So he's made it clear that, that whatever the religious leaders are doing, that's not what he's looking for, which already ties into what Cassie said. Right? That, that they can say all the right things with their mouth and they can do all the right things in their behavior, but if their heart hasn't changed, if there's not a real relationship with God as his spirit lives in them and changes them and they're trusting him instead of trusting themselves, then they don't really know God. And so then in Matthew 12, same group, he's having a debate with them and you see that he uses the same language here about the good tree, the bad tree, the good fruit, the bad fruit. And he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And now he turns to the religious leaders. You brood of vipers. <laughs> you most righteous people in the world. You're a bunch of snakes. <laughs> How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And so you see him coming again and saying that this good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, he's talking about teaching like what people say about the gospel, what people say about the truth, what people say about God. And in this case, it's what people say about the Spirit of God. In Matthew 12, if you read, that Jesus casts out a demon, and they accuse Jesus of doing that by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, I've done this by the Holy Spirit. And if you say untrue things about the whole, like if you look at the work of the Spirit and say that's the work of the devil, those words are going to condemn you as an evil person who can't even recognize the work of the Spirit. It's what he's saying in Matthew 12. But I just want you to see that the emphasis here is the, the words, the teaching that they speak. It, does the teaching reveal that they truly know Jesus? Does their teaching point people to Jesus and emphasize who Jesus is and drive people to Jesus? Or does their teaching emphasize something else? And so for now, just let's go that far with it, that he's talking about what they say. Now, the next thing that I think is really interesting in Matthew 12 right here is Jesus doesn't say, so get your teaching right and then you'll be right. And he doesn't say, if you say the right things, you'll be a good tree. He doesn't say, if you have good fruit, you'll be a good tree. He doesn't say, hey, if you look at your life and you've got bad fruit, you better start producing good fruit and that will change you from a bad tree to a good tree. Here's why I'm emphasizing that. He says it the exact opposite. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. And what Jesus is saying is, you have to be changed. 
before your fruit can be changed. Your heart, the exact same thing Cassie pointed us to when we started, your heart has to be changed before your fruit can be changed. There's something that has to be done to you. God has to change you. These most religious, most righteous people in the world didn't have a real relationship with God, and their hearts weren't right with God. And Jesus hammered in all of Matthew 5 and all of Matthew 6 that all this good stuff they were doing really came from a a place of pride and arrogance and self-centeredness that was all about them, and they were doing it for their own praise and their own glory. And he was saying, so all this stuff, even though it looks good on the outside, it's rotten on the inside. And you're rotten on the inside. And unless God changes you and brings to life something good inside of you, nothing good can ever grow out of you. That you need a work of God in you to change you before the work that you do for God can be good. It has to flow out of God's work in you. So, and if you want to look at this even more, I didn't put these verses on here. I debated two or three times, but in Matthew 23... So 11 chapters later, he gets, Jesus gets in another huge debate with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he blasts them harder in Matthew 23 than he does right here. He says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you for all the things they're doing wrong. But one of the things he says early on there is that they, they tell you all this stuff that the Bible says, but then they never really do it themselves. And you might think that he's talking about the type of hypocrisy where they say it and don't do it at all. But then the very next thing he says is, hey, they actually, they do all this stuff, but they do it so people will see them. And he says, but when they do it that way, that counts as not doing it at all. Let me just real quickly, since I'm saying it. I don't have it on the screen for you, but if you want to flip to Matthew 23. I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter, and I'll read the first seven verses. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. In other words, they're saying things that really are in the Bible. Like when they tell you what God has said in in the Old Testament, that's really what God said. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And so right there, it sounds to me like they're, they're saying, hey, do this, but then they don't do it. But it, listen to how he explains what he means. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. So that they do it, but they do it so men will see them, and that is not doing it in God's kingdom. Like, it's not what they do. They do the things, but they do it for themselves. And so they aren't doing it at all in a way that counts in God's kingdom. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. And so that's how they do it. And then Jesus says, here's what your heart should really be. Like these religious people who actually are doing the stuff that, that you're supposed to be doing, but they're doing it from a heart that's wrong. And because of that, Jesus says, they're not doing it at all in a way that matters in my kingdom. And then he contrasts that with, but you, here's how, what your heart should be like. You're not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you're all brothers. You shouldn't elevate yourself above everybody else. Even if you're teaching everybody else, you're not the teacher. God is the teacher. You're all, 
brothers, brothers and sisters, your family, you are equal and level together, and God is above all of you, and you answer to all of him as your master and your Lord, and he's the father of all of you. So you're not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you're all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And there you get to the heart of the issue that he's talking about. When your heart is self-centered and focused on your own praise and glory, even the good things that you are doing, you're doing to exalt yourself. And God humbles people like that. He brings people like that down. But when you, are, when you have really come to a place where you see, by faith, you see who God really is, and you see who you really are, you're humbled before him because of who you are. You're humbled before him because you know that you don't measure up. And your only hope is that he will give you grace that you could never earn and never deserve. And when you're humbled before him in that way, he gives you that grace and he gives you what you don't deserve. He gives you what you can't earn. He gives it as a, gr a gift to you based on who Jesus is and not on who you are. And he exalts you like from your humble, broken, lowly place where you admit, yeah, this is who I am. He lifts you up to a place you never could have reached on your own. And Jesus said, this is what it's really like in my kingdom. And that connects to the Matthew 5 of your righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because your righteousness has to be Jesus' own righteousness given to you. Not a human righteousness that anybody can achieve on their own. The most righteous humans in the world don't even get in. But Jesus' righteousness is enough. It does exceed human righteousness. So that's, and, then, and then the part that Cassie talked about, the Lord, Lord section, was like, you can do all this stuff but if you don't do all this stuff because you know Jesus and you trust him and you rely on him, it doesn't, even, it doesn't register in his kingdom. He'll look at you and be like, who are you? You're not mine. You're not connected to me by faith. You never knew me. I don't know you. And then it connects to the part that Adam's pointing us to, pointing us to there were the false teachers. And I think the reason I want to connect all these is the Matthew 5, 7, 12, 23. Just see that the false teachers are, are people not who tell you to do bad things or wrong things, but really religious people who tell you to do really good things out of your own strength, who motivate you with practical how-to sermons of follow these seven steps and you'll have better whatever. You know, they, they motivate you a lot of times with, with guilt and pressure to be a better version of yourself. They point you more and more to your ability or the demands on you, your resources, what you should be doing for God. They don't point you to who Jesus is and what he has done for you and your desperate need for him. They don't point you to the fact that you'll never live up to this on your own. But Jesus has. He has done everything for you that you need, and he promises to do everything in you that you need so that he can live through you, and the way that you live up to the standards of his kingdom is by depending on him as his spirit lives in you. And so these false teachers, it's not like Jesus is like, these are the good things that people do in my kingdom. It's like, no, do these things that are opposite and bad. That's not the case, right? Jesus says, this is what's required for my kingdom, and you can't get it on your own. You need me. You have to trust me. You have to depend on me. You have to be broken of yourself and driven to me. And the difference over here is they're saying, you've got to try harder to do this stuff. Earn your way in Jesus' kingdom. Work your way into Jesus' kingdom. Show that you measure up. Do enough good things. And Jesus is like, those are false teachers, and that's not the gospel. 
And if you always look to yourself and you look to human answers and human explanations and human resources and you think you're going to measure up, Jesus is going to say, you've never known me and I don't know you. And so, yeah, like this whole thing back up in Matthew 7 here, I think he's capping off the whole sermon by saying, more or less, you know, for two and a half chapters, I've told you that human righteousness isn't enough for my kingdom. That you have to come to me, you know, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The way he starts the sermon, he says, come broken, mourning over the fact that you are a sinner who doesn't measure up, starving for the righteousness you need, and I will fill you up. And then when good deeds start to flow out of you, people will praise your Father who's in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. And then he goes through and he's like, you, know, you can do all this stuff on the outside. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not get divorced. Do not lie. All that stuff on the outside with your heart being changed on the inside. And then in chapter 6, he's like, and you can pray and you can fast and you can give. You can do all these good religious things on the outside, but you do it all for your own glory. He's like, none of that's what it looks like in my kingdom. And he's been warning and warning and warning the difference between human righteousness, religious righteousness, versus the real righteousness of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And so then we get to the beginning of chapter 7 where we were two weeks ago, and it's part of the reason where he's like, don't judge other people. Because all you can see is the outside. And you, you can't judge their hearts. And people can make stuff look great on the outside, and their hearts can be rotten. Or people can be really struggling on the outside, but it breaks them and humbles them and drives them to Jesus, and they come to this place of faith in Jesus, and because they're trusting in Jesus now and not their own performance, they're willing to admit to you that they're struggling and they're a mess, and we tend to be like, well, they've admitted this, this, and this. How, how bad off are they? And it's like, no, they're the ones learning to trust Jesus. They're the ones not pretending anymore, not faking, not trying to cover it up with the stuff they do on the outside. And so then Jesus comes to this last section and, and we've skipped the two verses that started so far, but we'll go back to him. And, he, and so he warns, like, watch out for false prophets who don't drive you to faith in me and dependence on me and trust in me. Watch out for false prophets who motivate you to try harder on your own and do more on your own and try to achieve and work to, to earn from God what you think you need. When people drive you to self-reliance instead of reliance on Jesus, it's a lie. It is not the gospel. And the reason that I say it's not reliance on Jesus is back to these first two verses right here, verse 13 and 14. When Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, and this is Cassie saying you have to intentionally choose. Like, like choosing to follow Jesus is a real choice. He's saying you're not just going to accidentally wander into faith in Jesus. He's like, it's a really, really, really narrow gate and a narrow road. And like, if you just walk around naturally, you'll end up in the other place, like in this broad, wide place that many people, most people end up there. Like if you naturally follow human wisdom and human teaching and, and human religion, you won't end up with Jesus. You'll end up where all human teaching takes you, which is self-reliance and self-centeredness. And the reason that we know this is a contrast, he uses these exact same Gate and road in John, in John 10, Jesus says this, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
And then in John 14, just a few chapters later, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This one's hidden just a little bit in our English translations. This word way in Greek is hodos. And back up here in Matthew 7, this word road is hodos. And we actually still do that in English. You know, our roads we call highways, byways. Like the word way is still in there sometimes for us, um, expressways. But it's the exact same word. And so Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. And then he comes back later and says, I am that gate. Like the only way in. is It is so narrow that it is one person and only one person. There's only one way to get to the Father. You either come through faith in Jesus or you don't get in. Jesus gets you there or you don't get there. There is no other way. And then for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. The, the, the rest of the, the gate everywhere else is so broad that everything else takes you through that gate. Everything except Jesus takes you through that gate. Many are going to enter that way. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And I do think when he uses gate and road together here, he probably also has something that was built into Cassie's first truth again. You know, gate is that initial moment of entering through. Like the only way you're getting in is through Jesus. Jesus' sermon is designed to drive you to faith in Jesus, to break you of self-reliance, to break you of faith in yourself, to drive you to faith in Jesus. But also, it's not just an initial moment of walking through that gate. It's also narrow as the road. Like it's staying on this road. You, you trust Jesus at that initial moment and you keep trusting Jesus the whole way. You don't trust Jesus to get you through the gate and then turn right back around to self-reliance and work really hard to live up to what you're supposed to do. You trust Jesus and you keep trusting Jesus. The way, the way that you start in is through Jesus and the way that you stay on the path is through Jesus and every good thing that flows out of you is through Jesus. The way that you produce the stuff that God wants from you in his kingdom is through Jesus for the rest of your life. Jesus is the whole path, the whole way to the kingdom of God. There's nowhere else for you to ever turn. And any teaching that leads you away from Jesus either points you to a different gate, a different way to get in, which is a lot of other religions of the world, or tells you to, to keep walking and striving in a different way, which is a lot of religions that call themselves Christianity but aren't really teaching the gospel. None of that is the true teaching of Jesus. Those are all false prophets and false teachers. The, the true teaching of the kingdom of God is that it is Jesus, and it is Jesus alone, and it's Jesus alone forever. Always, for the rest of your life. Jesus, and only Jesus. And so he, he's, he's saying here, you know, like, there's only one way, it's so narrow, there's only one way. And he makes it really clear in John, I'm the way. Like, Jesus is the way. There's no other way to get in, there's no other way to get there. Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the road. And then immediately after that, contextually, this is what Adam pointed us to, really, is immediately after that he warns, watch out for false prophets. Who are those false prophets? The ones that don't teach you this about Jesus. The ones that say things that look really innocent on the outside. They tell you to live good ways. They tell you to try real hard. They give you all sorts of practical steps for how to make your life look better right now. But they don't point you to Jesus. And they even make it easier for you to live in this world in a way that maybe you aren't even as desperate for Jesus as you should be. 
He's like, those are false prophets leading you away from me, leading you away from the true gate, leading you away from the true road. And they look innocent, but they are deadly. They will kill you spiritually if you follow them and listen to them. Like, this is Jesus getting to the end of his sermon. And this takes us to the last part. I know I've connected every part here, but I will try to give you a time, chance to talk a little more if you want to. He's getting to the end of his sermon. And he's like, anybody who tells you something different than what I have said is a false prophet. Like, Jesus is the standard. He is the revelation of God. He is the word of God come in the flesh to reveal God to us. And if what people say lines up with what Jesus says, listen to them. Be taught by them. Thank God that he's using them to remind you of what Jesus has said. But if people say anything that they can't point you to the Bible and they can't point you to Jesus and show you that it's the same thing he said, ignore them. Do not listen to them. If they point you to other people other than Jesus or other teachings other than Jesus' teaching, they are false prophets leading you away from Jesus. And many are that way. Like it's the norm. You may think, why is he, he's, he's hammering this, it's really not this dangerous, it's not this big of a deal. According to Jesus, look how many times he says this. Okay, wide is the gate, you already hear it there, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. Only a few find the true gate and the true road that leads to life. And then down here, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Jesus is saying the majority of what you're going to encounter in the world is going to be false teaching that doesn't point you to Jesus. You're more likely to hear things that aren't the true gospel and aren't really Jesus-centered than you are to hear things that are the true gospel and are Jesus-centered. And so Jesus is saying, make sure you know what I've told you. Make sure you know who I am. And the reason I say that is because look how he, the very last thing he chooses to say in his whole sermon. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. He's like, are you listening to me? And then is your life being changed by what you've heard? Are you, are you hearing when I tell you human righteousness isn't enough? Religious effort on your part isn't enough. Are you hearing when I tell you I'm the only way? That the gate is so narrow and the road is so small that it's me and me alone. Are you hearing that? And are you changing your life? Are you, are you dying to self-reliance and putting your faith in Jesus? He's like, because if you do, if you build your life on me, whatever comes in this life, it doesn't mean that nothing will be hard, but when the rain comes and the streams rise and the winds blow, when the storms come, it won't fall. You, you won't crash because you've built your life on the foundation of who Jesus really is. But if you don't listen to him, and by the way, it doesn't mean you don't hear him. You can be the religious person who reads your Bible and the religious person who comes to church and you hear all these things and you shake your head and you say, Lord, Lord, that's true. Everyone who hears these words of mine but does not put them into practice doesn't die to yourself, doesn't die to self-reliance, keeps striving in your own effort, keeps coming and offering to God the things that you think you can offer to God. Instead of saying, I can't, I can't, I confess it, I admit it. What you have declared about me at the cross, it's true. I am a sinner so wretched that the only hope for me is that the Son of God himself would die to rescue me. If you don't come to the place where you believe that and your life is changed by that truth, your whole life's going to crash. Because nothing else, nothing, there is nothing else you can build your life on other than Jesus. 
that will sustain you spiritually and hold you up spiritually for whatever comes, both in this life and the life to come. And I think that connects. The reason Matthew includes this here, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because in a sense, they get what he's saying. He's not just up there saying, hey, this is who God is. Be a really good person. He's saying, this is who I am, and you better follow me. There's an authority to what he's saying about himself that they've never heard anybody else have. And the reason is because there isn't anybody else like Jesus. There's never been another teacher like Jesus who could come and say, this is who I am, and you desperately need me. I'm the answer for everything in your life. The authority that he claims for himself, the place where he puts himself in the whole picture of everything that God's doing is one of a kind. It's unique. There is no one else like Jesus. And I know I ran off on a lot of stuff there. Let me give you a few more minutes. So the other truths about God you want to point out, and then I'll try to wrap us up in just a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a sense, if we're saying, hey, this really narrow path is Jesus and Jesus alone, and everything the world tells you and everything that's natural to you, like in your sinful nature apart from God, is the opposite of that. <laughs> like every day you're naturally pulled away from that. And it takes a an act of living faith to say, no, I'm turning back to Jesus today. I'm turning. It's why we do this, to keep reminding each other of who God is and who we are and how we need Jesus. And to keep, in a sense, to, every time that we start to veer off, to pull each other back with the truths that we sing and the truths that we share in here and the truths that we read in the Bible. It's why we do community groups. It's why we encourage you to share your life with each other and be speaking truth to each other throughout the week. It's why we encourage you to encounter God this way in the Bible every day of your life on your own, that God would keep reminding you and keep pulling you back to Jesus over and over and over. It's not easy because it's not natural. <laughs> and the other options are vast. And there is this single path, and it's Jesus alone. And following Jesus is, it's this exercise of faith, this ongoing exercise of, I'm trusting Jesus, and I'm going to keep trusting Jesus, and I'm going to trust Jesus, and trust Jesus, and trust Jesus. And when everything's crashing around me, I'm going to keep trusting Jesus. What else? Other truths about God. Yeah. That's awesome. So when Jesus gets to the end of the sermon and he's like, my words, like if you hear me and put it into practice, like it actually changes your heart and changes your life. Like you hear what I'm saying and you live it, like you reorient 
from a, a human religion, a human righteousness, self-reliance, whatever it is, you reorient from that to Jesus and faith in Jesus and trusting Jesus and throwing yourself on Jesus. You die to yourself and you confess, I am broken and I am empty and I don't have what I need spiritually. I'm spiritually bankrupt and I need Jesus to fill me up. Like when that shift is made, Jesus is like, hey, that's not just a piece of your life that's changing. That's the very foundation of your life. You will either build your life on yourself or you will build your life on Jesus. And so Jesus is like, you're not, just, you're not just putting in a new window. You're not renovating a bathroom. You're not remodeling a bedroom. <laughs> like, this is not just a piece of your life that you add to this. This is a complete reorient of your life. There was a foundation over here that you were trying to build your life on. And it wasn't me, Jesus saying, it wasn't Jesus. He's like, and you are picking up your entire life, your whole house. You say, no, I'm going to build on Jesus. He's the only foundation that is solid and reliable. He's the only one who can hold me up. And that's great. I mean, it is like, it's because it's foundational. Jesus is saying, my words are everything. The whole thing. They, they touch your whole life. They change your whole life. Your whole life belongs to me in a way. That, you know, and that's probably helpful commentary on what he means by I never knew you or I did know you. Like, did, did you belong to me? Did you give your heart and your life to me? And I do want to connect that to where I want us to end today. And it was in these really hard verses. I'm going to erase some of this because it's hard to see right now. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's this warning that you could say these things with your mouth and not really know Jesus. And there's been the warning in the whole sermon that you could do all these religious things. Like you could follow all the do not rules. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not get divorced. Do not lie. You can follow all those rules. And you can follow all the do rules. Pray and give and fast. And none of that means that your heart is necessarily right with Jesus. So we've had the warnings that your words aren't enough and your external behavior is not enough. And he's kept driving us to our hearts and the fact that we need the grace of God to change our hearts and the Spirit of God to live in us. And so he comes back again and he's warning us here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. So again, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And here's one of the things I, just, I want to point out as we close. A few weeks ago, my brother uh, shared with me this great sermon by Alistair Begg. And I don't know if you know who he is, um, but I can't mimic his accent, so I'm not going to try to recreate what he was saying. But if you want to listen to him later, the sermon, you can pull it up on YouTube. And I didn't listen to the whole thing. He actually shared with me just a section of it. But it's called The Man on the Middle Cross. And so if, if you want to YouTube Alistair Begg, Man on the Middle Cross. But in it... He was talking about the thief that dies on the cross next to Jesus but puts his faith in Jesus right before he dies. Like, he has done nothing. I mean, like, he's literally dying for the crimes he's committed. Everybody knows he's guilty. And there's nothing he can do to make it right. Like the, the final verdict on his life is you did things so wrong that you're dying for them. And in this last moment, he looks to Jesus and believes who Jesus really is and, and just asks for complete mercy. Jesus, welcome me into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. You've done nothing, and I know you can't do anything. Like You didn't, you didn't pay for it up front. You can't earn it. And you're never going to be able to pay me back because you're dead within the next few hours. But today you'll be with me in paradise. 
And so Alistair Begg said, imagine him standing at the gates of heaven, that thief, and, and people are asking him, why can you get in? And I want you to hear this because I think it's one of the best ways I've ever heard it said, that if you were asked that question, why should you be in the kingdom of heaven? Like, why should you get into the kingdom of God? Why should Jesus welcome you in? If somebody asks you that question and your answer starts in the first person, you're wrong and you're done for. Why should you get in and you say, because I, it's the wrong answer. Because I did this, it's the wrong answer. Because I tried, it's the wrong answer. Even because I believed this, it's the wrong answer. Your answer has to start in the third person if you know Jesus and what he's taught about his kingdom. Why should you get in? Because Jesus. Because he. Because he did this. Because he loved me. Because he died for me. Because he forgave me. Because he cleansed me. Because the king said I can come in. That's why I get in the kingdom. Because the king says so. And so at the core here, we see that in their answer. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do enough good things? Didn't we do big enough, spectacular enough, powerful enough things? And Jesus is like, that's not what gets you in. I never knew you. You didn't have a relationship with me. You weren't connected to me. You were still doing instead of trusting me to do. And, and just see how that connects to the whole sermon. Like he's warned us back in chapter 5, your righteousness has to be greater than human righteousness. And now here they are standing in front of him on the last day saying, hey, weren't our righteous acts good enough? He's like, I told you all along that it never could be. It never could be. Like your answer will never be because I did this if it's going to be the right answer with Jesus. It's because Jesus did this because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done for me, because of what Jesus has done in me, because of what Jesus has done through me, because of what Jesus has given to me, because of the way that Jesus has loved me and accepted me and changed me. It's because of Jesus. And I will tell you that there are times in my life, and sometimes it's external stuff that other people can see, how easily frustrated I get and how impatient I am and how self-centered I can be and how I, re, I, I evaluate everything through the filter of how it's going to affect me or what it's going to do to me. And, and I see just that sinful self-centeredness that still lives in me. And then other times it's just deep in my own heart, like late at night and I'm awake in bed and these moments of knowing the ways that I still don't surrender to God and submit to God and trust God, the ways that I fight against him and I try to make myself God in my own life and just pretend like it's okay for me to just do what I want here. Like, will, just, will you just leave me alone about this? Like those things in my heart that I lay there, and this is a really scary verse. And sometimes I think, am I going to say Lord, Lord my whole life in front of people? And I don't really know Jesus. Like I don't really trust Jesus, I'm still trusting myself. And it's, it's scary for me, and I'm scared, scared for you too. Because Jesus is, I mean, he's utterly serious right here. This is the end of the sermon. And he's like, if you've, if you've listened to me at all, if you're hearing what I'm saying, you have to be warned that there's going to be people 
who they look like they've done the right things and they, they've said the right things and they never knew me at all. They, they weren't in relationship with me. And I think it's okay to hear those words and for there to be a certain type of fear in us. For there to be this honest fear of, I will never get my own heart right. I will never be able to fix this. Like he's going to a level where you can't deny it if you honestly listen to him. Because if he just talks about your words, you'd be like, no, I believe in Jesus. See, I said it. Or if he just talks about your behavior, well, I do this and I do this. I come to church this often and I read my Bible this often and I pray for my kids and I do this and I give this and I serve in this ministry and you can point to all this stuff. And it's not that he's saying that it's bad to say it. It's not. It's a good thing to say the truth about who Jesus is. And he's not saying it's bad to do those things, but he digs down deeper and he's like, what's really in your heart? Has your heart been changed from a bad tree that bears bad fruit into a good tree that bears good fruit? And only God can make that change. God creates trees. God creates hearts. And so in that moment when it stirs up that kind of fear in me, my hope and where it drives me and my hope for you this morning when you hear Jesus' words is not we end this morning with that type of fear. It, it is good for Jesus to take us to that place. But my hope is that it drives you all the more to say, Jesus, you're my only hope. Jesus, do this work in me. Jesus, change my heart. Do in me what only you can do. Give to me what only you can give. Make me into this type of person in your kingdom. That, that this fear that grows up from this verse should lead you to death to self and crucifying yourself. And it should lead you to faith in Jesus all the more. To run to Jesus and to cry out to Jesus and to call out to Jesus and to confess that Jesus is your only hope that you would hear Jesus' words and you would get to the end of his sermon and you would say, there's no one like Jesus. All of my hope is in Jesus. None of my hope's in anyone else and none of my hope's in me. And that he would break you of yourself and he would humble you. He would humble you in the way that true faith grows up and then God exalts you because you've been humbled. And so in these last words, I want you to hear what you can't do. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't fix the deepest things that are wrong with you. But Jesus can. Jesus is good enough. Jesus is enough for everything that you need. Jesus, it's his kingdom. Jesus was perfectly qualified. And he gave it all up. Like what was rightfully his, what he deserved to have forever, he gave up so that what you don't deserve, you can have forever. When he measured up perfectly, he took on your sin and he died for you so that when you don't measure up perfectly, he can welcome you into his kingdom by his righteousness. And I just want to encourage you one more time in the sermon of Jesus and the words of Jesus to see who Jesus is, to put your faith in Jesus. And for the words that come out of your mouth, like this day and for the rest of your life, not to be, I did, because I, I believed, I tried, 
Jesus. Jesus did. Jesus has done. Jesus is doing. Jesus promises to do. My hope is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. And so let's pray right now and let's ask him to keep doing that work in our hearts. And then let's worship him and praise him and thank him that it is what he's doing. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Please be working in our hearts by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, as only you can. Open our eyes to see you more through Jesus, through his teaching, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And stir up faith inside of us, Father, to trust and follow Jesus today and every day for the rest of our lives to keep trusting Jesus. Build our lives and build this church on the foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. I pray that he will be our rock and our foundation and that we will keep pointing each other back to him, pulling each other back to him. I pray that Jesus will be seen and known and made known through this church and through our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us. And if you want to come and pray, we'll have some staff and wives down here. If you just want to come and pray on your own, you're welcome to do that during this time.